From the 1976 Guidance Series Initial Issue Introduction. The story of the Philippine Benevolent Missionaries Association, incorporated, established and founded at San Jose, Dinagat, Surigao del Norte, Philippines, portrays an abstract picture showing a multidimensional aspect that gives a dramatic and colorful episode of a unique civilization and culture of a distinct ethnic group of people struggling for spiritual emancipation and striving to achieve a purposive and progressive goal for mankind, in their sincere desire to bridge the chasm of ignorance between man and the divine. Established according to the pattern and tradition of the ancient movement under the direct guidance of Master Jesus in his native Judea about 2,000 years ago, the PBMA has its primordial objective, to revitalize the nucleus of universal brotherhood of all peoples in the world, without distinction and discrimination as to creed, faith, ideology, and social and intellectual limitations. To understand the PBMA story as punctuated by sacrifices, its contexture of local scenes and background of mysterious events may be interpreted from various angles of perception and levels of perceptions. At any rate, the story itself implicates the metaphysical, as it develops into an awe-inspiring panorama, and keeping the imagination constantly searching for grandeur and beauty, it finally enthralls the mental that ascends into the heights of the divine. Verily, no one perhaps would expect this story to be revealing the truth, since the facts interwoven in it are uncommon in the consciousness and experience of man. But truths are stranger than fictions, the saying goes. While truth has a multifaceted aspect, the twine of facts and fibers of circumstances and events interrelated therein cannot be readily seen, observed or discerned, even with music, rhapsodies, suspense, climax and its theme. For to see the truths, facts, events and occurrences concatenate in time and in the story itself ushers the reader into the realms of metaphysical reality which could not be easily understood, even with the aid of material yardsticks, weights and measurements, since the whole story is a measure of a consistent, existential reality. The story, therefore, was written not for the presentation of mysteries, enigmatic events and miracles described in riddles and cryptic terms, but a narrative based on facts, as intelligently appraised and judiciously evaluated. Evidently, the writer's conceptual impressions, ideas, assumptions, and conclusions may not be similar to those of the reader's. From the standpoint of known standards and categories in truth evaluation through logic and reason, the circumstances and facts interwoven in the story itself may not yield profitable credence and clear understanding in the critical and analytical mind which fact is expected. Since the opinions, ideas and beliefs of readers, including those of the members of the organization, are not the same, the truths and facts in this story may still remain as abstract vestiges of the great mysteries that began eons ago, during the process of creation of the cosmos by God Omnipotent. The reader, therefore, may draw conclusions to his own imagination and conceptualization. The Island of Dinagot When a man is near the truth, he begins to doubt himself, like the disciple Peter. When the greatest architect-builder created the cosmos, no man saw him. But since God's manifested powers are conditioned by eternity, time and space continuum, mankind began to know Him. Today, more than a quarter of a million people, members, believers, friends and pretenders have seen the facts, the mysteries and miracles interwoven in the PBMA story. In the story of Master Jesus, only a few men saw the truth. The same species of humans today are the same deniers of the same truth, the original truth, as Jesus said even to inspire, truths shall make you free. But who wants to be free from the chain of ignorance or from the bondage of slavery? Woe unto the educated and intelligent who cannot see the big elephant and unable to see himself and his neighbors, he could clearly see the roundness of a coin. There are several keys and pointers with which to understand the PBMA story that doubtless began with time. The reader may now begin his inquiry and quest for truth from the small island of Dinagot, 
a small mound of earth surmounted with rocks and corals, with overgrowing vegetations, indistinct as a part of the more than 7,000 islands that compromise the Philippine archipelago. But Dinagat Island has many tiny islets around its borders which fact makes the story more complicated even. When you see a big ink spot on a white paper with your unaided eye, you may find the dot spot itself is constituting a seemingly compact dot that is easy to identify. But seeing the dot under a powerful microscope which magnifies the spot, you will see that the dot itself appears to be divided into tiny and separate specks which seem to be distinct and individual by themselves, yet upon analysis, every speck thereon is a part of the whole and entire ink spot. Such is the case of the small island called Dinagat and the man behind the former and the later which unveil the mystery of the PVMA, either as a legend or as a legion whose organized existence is predicated on service to mankind. Dinagat is an island in the Far East. It is mountainous terrestrial protrusion from the eastern seas of Visayas, topographically hilly and geographically located at the northeastern coastal waters of mainland Mindanao. The island is a part of Surigao del Norte province whose rugged and irregular coastal line has been a fishing area of the industrious people of Surigao. But Dinagat Island is a natural blend of earth, rock and coral terrain with luxuriant foliages, regular-sized trees, swamps and shrubberies. Since Dinagat is sparsely populated, it has no less than six municipalities today among which is the town of Dinagat, the capital, with a gradually increasing population of 60,000 people. The municipalities are Loreto, Cajinao, Albor, Rizal, and Taban, Dinagat being the biggest. Yet Dinagat Island consists of many groups of strewn islets comprising of sitios and barrios with seafaring, intrepid and industrious people, consistent ever with the methods and systems of earning their living by the sea and by tilling the rocky soil for some agricultural produce, like coconuts, uplands rice, corn, cassava and some rotation crops and scattered farms, aside from their small-scale poultry and swine and large cattle. Barrio San Jose is a part of the municipality of Dinagat. The barrio is so named after a man whose honor has been cherished and venerated as the symbol of pioneering spirit. The barrio has now a permanent population estimated at 27,000, with transient and itinerant population estimated at 30,000, moving in and out of San Jose, the year-round. San Jose which was formerly called Poinge is now a barrio of Dinagat town. Why the big population and the enormous number of perambulating people, coming in and going out of San Jose about three times a year? Perhaps, this fact may introduce the Philippine Benevolent Missionaries Association, incorporated in whose story the life of a man has been associated and inextricably interwoven. The story of the association, therefore, could not be understood without the man behind it. Undoubtedly, were it not for his dedicated efforts and selfless services, continuing solicitude, hardships, privations, at times humiliation, the man could not have been catapulted otherwise to greater heights of humanitarian service. Being loved, honored, venerated and even worshipped as a man in the inner sanctum of every sincere member's heart, the man came into being, to serve mankind. With about 80 chapters today, the association has maintained a membership of about a quarter of a million people, throughout the archipelago, from the northernmost tip of Luzon to Zambonga and mainland Mindanao. All members of the association are bound to fulfill their bounden duties, to disseminate the tenets of world brotherhood, moral and spiritual ideals and render benevolent humanitarian service by way of healing the sick when expediency and emergency require. Missioners and members of the association are restored to moral and spiritual health, except those who, by their own will, knowledge and choice, are antagonistic to the principles of moral regimentation and arbitration, as far as habits, mannerisms and nuances are concerned. These are the pretenders, the charlatans, the curious and the ignoramuses who are in quest for honor, fame, occult powers and even opportunities for wealth.
but the PBMA does not deny anyone from membership, since the ideal of brotherhood of all men stands as one of its policies. Even a psychophant or a moron is entitled to membership, with the hope that one day he may become normally capable to render a measure of service to mankind. People from distant places in the archipelago have visited San Jose during annual conferences, while most people nearby, the areas within the vicinities of Surigao have not even seen the great multitude gathering about the portals of San Jose, to witness the events and to hear the words of the Supreme President and Founder of the Association from whose life the Association is tethered. Who could be the man whose power of attracting people has surprised great political leaders in the country, army generals, governors, educators, priests, professionals, businessmen, even foreigners? Who is the man behind the PBMA Incorporated? An army general who spoke before a great crowd at San Jose, Dinagat, once said, This is the most disciplined organization I have ever seen and I have not found any member smoking cigarette. Smoking cigar and cigarette, drinking intoxicating liquor, indulging in narcotics and prohibited drugs, gambling and all other forms of vice are taboo in the association. All members are trained in the strictest discipline, since clean life is the objective in the esoteric life which is very difficult to follow. Self-discipline is very important among the members. Imposition by law or by duress may not be as effective as the inner command from the inner self of every member. This self-command or moral imperative is true to dedicated members of the PBMA. But while the story is veering towards its climactic compendium, the two scores in a year ago have so soon been buried in the mist of time. The years that rolled by are not as fast as the winds of oblivion, for when a babe was born with cherubic face in an islet, a part of Dinagat Island, called Kabilan, the PBMA story began. The islet belongs to the province of Surigao del Norte. But since Kabilan is found just within the periphery of Dinagat Island, the former is legitimately a part of Dinagat. The Man in the Offing During the span of 40 years from December 9, 1934 to December 9, 1974, a considerably long period of time has passed. But the time involved spells and unveils the story of the PBMA incorporated a non-sectarian, non-profit organization dedicated to universal brotherhood and selfless service to mankind. Kabilan Islet is now a populated community with more people earning their livelihood. In the year 1934, Kabilan was thinly populated, perhaps inhabited only by about two families who must have committed themselves to work with pioneering spirit for progressive ends. Jose Acleo was a family head, the husband of Justiniana Edra. The middle-aged couple who could well portray the meaning of kindness, compassion, love for brother man, happiness and good living settled and occupied a portion of Kabilan and cultivated a small lot for crops. The nine-hectare lot could have hidden the story of the PBMA, were it not for both the husband and wife who decided to develop the rocky terrain which was a truly virgin land covered by many kinds of sylvan vegetations. Kabilan Islet is of limestone rock in origin which suggests the idea that it had been submerged under sea water and reappeared as an upheaval from the ocean basin some 7 million years ago to become a unit constituent of the Philippine archipelago. There are many islets within the Dinagat waters, but Kabilan is blessed with many caves and huge boulders and laminated rock foundations. A cave has been discovered which displays beautiful and imposing stalactites and stalagmites. Spring water and seepages are found with medicinal value to the PBMA members who flock to the islet every now and then throughout the year. Perhaps, a curious visitor may find the superimposed imprint of geological eras upon the seaside rocks of Kabilan, while extinct coral rocks and fossilized conchs and petrified wood may guide the speculator to believe that the islet really came from under the sea. Today, the people of Kabilan have schools, fish ponds, poultry and swine, with incomes to pay their taxes in the municipality of Dinagat whose mayor is an energetic, 
young executive rated as one of the most outstanding mayors of the Philippines for the year 1974. When Kabilan was discovered by Jose Eclio and Justiniana Edra, the islet was quite untouched by human hands who have the aptitude to cultivate the choice area for their home, sometime perhaps a decade ago before the Japanese trampled the Philippine shores. After many years on the ninth day of December, 1934, the couple gave birth to their sixth child, a chubby-faced boy who saw the light of the universe at the first hour of his natal day. The early dawn heralded the story of sacrifice that may sooner give credence and meaning to the birth of new hopes in a new era for a new society that can truly cherish the Crestos tradition of humanity when the higher values had been taught somewhere in Judea and in the city of Jerusalem about 1, 980 years ago, in China, about 4,000 years ago, in Egypt, around the vicinity of 7,000 and in India as early as 12,000 years ago when the great books of wisdom were being explored by the ancient seers and masters of wisdom. For the Christian teachings and ideals are not as young as they are believed to be, since they are the same as the oldest known spiritual traditions handed down by God to man, after the creation of the cosmos. And Kabilan Islet became the springboard of a great stride towards their awakening of mankind, particularly the Filipinos in the Pearl of the Orient Seas. December 9, 1934 was just one day ahead of the dropping of Japanese war bombs, seven years thereafter on December 8, 1941 in Davao, Zambonga, Corregidor, Pampanga, Naga and many other places in the Philippines where army installations were found. While the PBMA story is webbed in events, textured and striated with sacrifices, the dropping of the war bombs in the Philippines in December, 1941 was transmuted to greater significance. Today, it is not the exploding of destructive bombs but the outpouring of God's love, the sharing of our Father's munificence from the fountain spring of both material and spiritual riches. For the Philippines today is the center of spiritual awakening, the focus of divine healing and the seat of a movement dedicated to universal brotherhood of humanity. Yet Kabilan and San Jose are the places which have become the centers of the spreading tradition of the Arhats, the Avatars and the Hierophants in the remotest parts of Luzon, Mindanao and Visayas where the ideals of brotherhood and tenets of both moral and spiritual life are being disseminated by the members and missioners of the Philippine Benevolent Missionaries Association. Born for a Great Mission Little Boy Reuben the wonder child of Kabilan grew in the islet with his five brothers and sisters. Espiritu, Orsencia, Nicholas, Old Erica and Moises are the members of the Ecleo family. They had opened their imaginations and unfolded their inner vision to behold the meaning of scenic beauty of the coral island whose trees and palms swayed with the northerly winds and easterly whisper from the China Sea and the Great Pacific Ocean respectively. At the age of one, Reuben was baptized at the Aglipayan Parish in Surigao town across the sea, like his brothers and sisters. While Visayan tradition remained consistent, every member of the Ecleo family in Kabilan must swim in the sea. Small boy Reuben learned to acclimatize himself with the rudiments of swimming and working by himself. Before he reached the age of seven, one year immediately before December 8, 1941, Reuben had already become an active, industrious and obedient lad. Boy Reuben or Obing as he was at his tender age of six must have known the saltiness of table salt and the sweetness of sugar as it were, in the truth evaluation of facts, events and occurrences or unexplained circumstances happening in those years. As for Reuben the seeking of truth and learning it to be a part of his early wisdom is to experience and live truth itself. In learning the nature of saltiness, tasting it rather than hearing its definition and description conveys the truth and its meaning. Before 1941, the Ecleo family moved to the seacoast on the western rim of Dinagat Island and peacefully settled at the southern stretch of Melgar and Wilson in a sitio called Poyan so named after a huge tree with wide-spreading branches that grew luxuriantly in the area. 
It was not long when the Second World War broke out and the belching smoke of aggression spread all over the Philippines from Pearl Harbor. The Sitio Poinge was quiet and serene. Its picturesque sunset presents an awe-inspiring celestial grandeur and beauty that overwhelms the imagination. Its seacoast to the next neighboring barrio is peopled by industrious sea-loving citizens. Among the busy fishermen and family heads who engaged in small-scale business was Jose Cleo, the father of young Ruben who was then six years old in 1940. Tugging along with his parents from Kabilan to Poinge was such an experience for Ruben, while he greeted his new home and environment which afforded an ideal refuge for the family and a suitable harborage for people who sought fortune in the seas. Experienced in the hard ways of sea life and the usual inconvenience of pioneering existence Ruben adapted himself easily with the new surroundings. But the young boy could not have any chance to study formally in the public school, since there was no educational institution in Poinge at the time. The years rolled by, while the population of Poinge increased and children of school age doubled their number. Since there was no school in Poinge, Reuben was taught by his mother the rudiments of reading and writing. No sooner than Reuben was seven years old, he had already got acquainted with many children and became familiar with the immediate environs of his new playground bordering the sea. Later, he explored the vicinities of the place and gained access of the trails until he visited the innermost or farthermost places of mainland Dinagat, he disappeared one day. He must have gone to some far distances where it took him much difficulty to be home quite early during the day. Actually, Reuben was beginning to start a mission as early as 1941, while playing with other children in Poinge. At the age of eight, he reached far places on mission. At nine he had introduced some noble ideas and good behavior to his friends. At ten, he was in Panan Island, southern Leyte where he enrolled in grade two, during the war. Whether mysteriously or otherwise, Reuben's enrollment in Panan, Leyte is quite mystifying, rather unexplainable in terms of physical standards, since he was 11 years old. When he was seen in Poinge in 1946, he enrolled again in grade I in Barrio Wilson School where he was accelerated to grade 3. Back to Leyte and mystery, Reuben at the age of 11 went to the mountains where he received dictations from the spiritual realm after which he began his full mission at 12. In the mountains of northern Leyte, he spent days and nights, and cold, heat and hunger. He was alone at the mercy of wild animals, like pythons, deadly insects and venomous vipers and reptiles. He did listen to the voice in the silence. He did meditate and heard the voice from Devachan, the voice from the astral, from the silence of his higher being, the voice from the egoic plane, from the spiritual and divine planes. In the language of occultism, Reuben attained the state of oneness with his higher or spiritual self or union with the universal self. In the language of yoga science, it is samadhi when the experience resolves itself into the very texture of the normal consciousness of the seer, as is Shaya Avastha. To him the experience becomes spontaneous and he works on amidst the diversities that characterize the outward existence, as unaffected Sakshi, witness, in Samadhi is garnered such a tremendous reserve of power that this divine energy irresistibly seeks an outlet in service. As a seer at the age 12, Reuben emerges from the experience filled with an inner surge of love and friendliness towards all creation and a sense of power to manifest this love in deeds of goodwill and help. Samadhi unifies the entire creation through a homogenous experience. Inspired by a cosmic sympathy of life, he gives himself joyously and freely for the cause of Lokahita, public welfare. As Akila Rubin was guided by the Arhats and taught by an avatar. While in deep concentration and meditation, he received instructions in the ancient wisdom as well as the words of power or divine mantras in all levels. The dictations to him from the spiritual plane gave him definite orders for the implementation of his fuller mission. He was then trained in reading and writing the Arabic, 
Hebrew, Sanskrit and Aramaic languages to be able to interpret the ancient mysteries, aside from being able to read the Akashic records for reference purposes of the past and future events in the universe. At the age of 13, young Reuben was enrolled in grade 4 at the Surigao Central Elementary School, Surigao del Norte. In 1949, he enrolled in the first-year high school at San Nicolas College. During nights, however, Reuben studies and learns in the astral, mental, egoic and spiritual planes under the tutelage of the arts which process of study may not be easily understood by readers. These seemingly unbelievable processes of Reuben's esoteric or inner life are not quite understood by the uninitiate, since these are the only schemes by which Reuben's education, both in the physical and in the spiritual could be accelerated, particularly in the holy scriptures and the occult, in preparation for his great mission. Through spiritual dictations, therefore, and visions, Reuben gradually learned what otherwise could not have been learned in so short a time. Of course, there is nothing impossible in the spiritual, with the help of the Lord. What is puzzling to the ordinary mind or thinker is Reuben's presence in many places, at the same time which power of omnipresence is only possible for the masters of wisdom, the arhats, avatars, and hierophants, as in the case of Master Jesus who had been in the Americas, Egypt, India and in his native Judea, simultaneously aside from being in the monastery in the Essenian school, near Mount Serbal, overlooking the Black Sea. Each of his bodies was with a different face, height, perhaps, different nationality, performing a mission which only the Almighty God, the Father knows. In occult science, this is what we ascribe to the power of simultaneous materialization by virtue of the stupendous power of the mantra or word of power given to the recipient, by God. Furthermore, the power of transfiguration is also manifest which means that the Master Arhat, Avatar or Hierophant can change his physical figure at will, in different places, from young personality to old, as it were. In receiving the words of power, Master Mission or Reuben can materialize anywhere at will which power is likewise clearly explained in the book where theosophy and science meet. Apparently, by uttering the mantra, or word of power, the Master could almost do anything. After intervals of days and months, Reuben goes to Poinge to visit his parents and makes himself known to be in the same place for purposes of being incognito somewhere in Leyte, Samar and in all other places he willed to visit. In 1949, records show that Reuben enrolled at the San Nicolas College, Surigao del Norte in the first year high school. In the same year, he was also in Leyte since he was on full missionary work, the nature of which was to go to many places in different communities, talking to people, feeling their sentiments, sensing their emotions, learning the moral, spiritual and economic problems. But as he knew the ills of man, he taught them how to live the happy life and guided them in the spiritual. He solved their problems and healed the sick people who flocked to him. Traveling extensively in Leyte, Samar, Mindanao, Bohol, and Cebu, he was able to learn the dialects of the places fast, being a guided missioner by the Spirit of God. This is always true to advanced souls who are not necessarily geniuses at their early age in the physical. In 1952, an ocean-going vessel dropped anchor at Kabilan Island with Capel Yuri and Dr. Hugh Tovar aboard, missioner Acleo joined the group to the United States and after his eight-month sojourn in church, Virginia and in some other places abroad, on survey study and tour, he came back to the Philippines in 1953. In the United States, he made contacts with his previous colleagues and had a chance to survey the possibility of fulfilling a mission there. When he was back in the Philippines, Ruben Acleo was still with the fervor of performing his missionary duties. Again he went up to the mountains of Leyte for instruction. This action gave an impression to the people that young Reuben was no less than a guided psychophant or a crazy charlatan, bent on working with invisible denizens from whose powers he made manifest his psychic influence. Going back to Surigao del Norte in 1955, 
Obing as he was called decided to get married, since he believed that marriage could possibly give him the best incentive to understand material life, human frailties and imperfections. Marriage was a necessary recourse. It was an exoteric objective, a moral ideal designed to keep him well informed about mundane life or worldly passion and of possession. A woman shall become the balancer, a regulator, a pivot, a springboard a catapulter for greater and higher progressive goals, both for the material and the spiritual life of a man. Is marriage or matrimony necessary in the life of man and woman? When God created man, was marriage decreed as an expression of love on the basis of knowledge and wisdom, marriage between man and woman may be an act of faith in the absolute rulership of God in whose power and wisdom we live and move and have our being. Matrimony is in obedience to the spiritual law, and in fulfillment of the divine plan for man's progression and perfection. Marriage, therefore, is necessary in Reuben's life as a token symbol of human sacrifice and love in his physical life, in compliance with the requirement of his initiation to the higher life, so that he may tread the path, to fulfill his mission. Of course, his mission cannot be ultimately understood, even by the few, since God's plan for humanity, although progressive, is both physically inclusive and spiritually expansive. Glenda, the amiable daughter of Mr. Roberto Burai, of Gidegum, Cagayan de Oro City was the woman who knew Ruben Acleo too well, since the latter has been with the Burai family for some time. The woman knew how Ruben grew to manhood, how he suffered more material frustrations, since his abject of poverty could only be explained in terms of meeting the requirements of esoteric life in which the seeker after truth or the kila must undergo sacrifices, deprivations, humiliations and even mortification if necessary, in obedience to the law of initiation into the higher life and in accordance with God's plan. Very few men may understand the meaning of initiation into the higher life, since most people are attached to inert matter. But Reuben's mission had to go on, with more inspiration, zeal and solitude. After his marriage in 1955, he went to Agusan for some time and began his major healing among the Manobos until 1957. While performing his missionary work in Agusan, he was also physically traveling somewhere in Davao, Bukidnon, Leyte, and Samar, using different names, perhaps different faces, some of whom are old or young identities, losing therefore, his early childhood personality as Ruben Acleo. With such mysterious omnipresence in several places, he could not possibly be identified as a married man, the son-in-law of Roberto Barai, or the youngest child of Jose Acleo and Justiniana Edra who live somewhere in Poyange, Dinagat, Surigao del Norte. With nicknames such as Ben, Obing, Fred, Freddy, Robin, Tony and Dr. Loway, the real master missioner in the physical body of Ruben Acleo raised the dead and saved the dying from consequent death. The alter egos, the doubles and all other physical manifestations of Ruben's omnipresent personality performed the mission. All the manifested personalities cured mysterious diseases and used the healing powers of the Lord Jesus who first applied these powers in Judea. This process of healing became the precursor of what is now called divine healing, since the healing power comes directly from our Divine Father, by virtue of the sacred or divine prayers which are called in occultism as mantras. Speaking of mantras, Reuben Acleo has painstakingly compiled a book of these powerful words or letter combinations that produce coherent vowel sound which could be pronounced with ease and clarity. These dash, to be continued next issue, this ends here the 1976 PBMA Guidance Series Initial Issue.